Well, Rebecca McLaughlin uh, told about her conversation she had with her daughter, and um, her daughter just replied, I don't believe that. And you might be asking, well, what didn't she believe? Rebecca said she read her four-year-old daughter the story of the angel Gabriel meeting with Mary. And my daughter replied, I don't believe that. (laughs) So, would you believe that if that were you? An angel showing up? And so, Rebecca says, as a mom, I try not to panic. Uh, you know, I, I said, well, do you, do you believe that God made you? And she said, yes, I believe that. Uh, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And she said, oh, yeah, Mom, I, I believe that. Well, do you believe that he rose from the dead? Oh, yes, Mom, I, I believe that too. And so as Rebecca started probing, you know, uh, her four-year-old daughter, it turned out that it was the angel, you know, that angel showing up out of nowhere that she just had a hard time believing. And I don't know if you ever thought about that, you know. We, we kind of move into the Christmas season and we hear the stories and we just kind of go with the flow, but have you ever stopped to think about it? What, how would I respond if an angel showed up and had a conversation with me? Yeah. So... Christmas, when you, when you get down to it, there's a lot of reasons why we could start thinking, wow, this is a little, this is different, you know, this isn't normal. And we have to come to that point in our lives when we do, in fact, dig in, drill down into what happened that Christmas that we believe it. We believe all of it. And that if an angel decided to show up at your house, You'd have them come in and have a cup of coffee with you, right? So Tom Flynn, he, he's a, uh, a free thinker. And free thinkers today, that's a growing movement in our culture where you don't believe in God. Free thinking, you can think what you want. And uh, he gave, you know, reasons why people shouldn't celebrate Christmas. In fact, in 1993, he published an article, The Trouble with Christmas, and he made hundreds of media appearances during that time. And he kind of picked up the nickname um, Anti-Claus. Not Santa Claus, Anti-Claus. And as a secular humanist, Flynn urged other non-believers, free thinkers, to ignore Christmas altogether. And uh, he came up with this quote, if Jesus is not your Savior, Christmas is not your holiday. Uh, That's that's a good point, isn't it? Uh, We believe, as followers of Christ, that God invaded our world. He, man, you talk about, you know, leaving heaven, a perfect environment, and coming to this planet where a lot of bad things were hitting the fan, even in that time of history. Um. God came in the form of a baby. It's kind of a stunning thought, isn't it? And we, we sing that great Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Here's the good lyrics, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity. Now there's a lot of theology there, you know. You could spend some time on that. But have you ever thought about it? 
It's, it's easier to sing about Christmas than to think about it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you have to engage mentally. And let me tell you, there's some things that happened back then that have never happened since. It's true. And to think that, think about this, uh, the Roman Empire, the world power of the day, occupying this part of the world and God chooses this little village, Bethlehem, to have his son born. And we put a little meat on that in Luke 2.7. Let's, let's look at that image of, uh, uh, yeah, let's, okay, we'll look at this. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. A manger, just a footnote here, it's a, it's a careful, it's a feeding trough. You know, so if, if you are on a farm, you have mangers or feeding troughs where the animals come and eat their oatmeal and raisins every day, you know. Uh, it's not really a clean bed, but that's where she placed Jesus in a feeding trough because there was no lodging available uh, for them. So, so there you have it. Let's, let's look at that... that uh, Nativity deal. Look at that. Um, the light from the star, boom, and basically inside of a you know a cutout cave, and uh, not a pretty place, but that's where um, that's where God decided that would be a great place for His Son to be born. Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's look at that map. Um, so, Bethlehem, where the star is, it's about five miles south of Jerusalem. Um, and Jerusalem was where you had the religious uh, headquarters, so to speak, of the day. That's where the religious community hung out. The temple was there. And, and, um, and so, God didn't have his son born into a religious headquarters, but instead had him out with a bunch of animals five miles away. It's just an incredible story. And um, you, you look at, at Jesus and... Um, kind of a wow moment. Wow, God, this is what you did. So with Christmas, as um, this Mr. Free Thinker Flynn came up with, uh, if Jesus isn't your Savior, Christmas isn't your holiday. That's, that's something to think about. But as we uh, dig into Christmas, there's, there's a question that we need to ask. And um, we need to find out for sure that Jesus is who he said he was because if this is not true, if it's just a fairy tale, then we're wasting our time. You're wasting your time. So this morning, there's number one in the back of your program, there's an outline. And um, uh, in uh, uh, Matthew 11, 1 through 3, 
So Jesus, he's got his ministry rolling here. He finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, and he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, John the Baptist was uh, the dude that went out and said, there's somebody coming behind me that's greater than me, and I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. So he was pointing, John the Baptist was kind of like the icebreaker, breaking up the ice, saying, somebody's coming behind, he's the savior of the world, he's coming, he's on the way. So John the Baptist, who was in prison, he heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for somebody else? What I like about this, this, this is reminiscent of Habakkuk, when Habakkuk the prophet was doubting God, asking questions, the why questions, and here you have John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus himself, and he's in prison and you would think, what's he doing in prison when he's famous? He's the one out in front of Jesus. Why would God let that happen to him? In fact, he would ultimately die in prison. Is that fair? And so John the Baptist is all alone in his prison cell, and he starts wondering, you know, I, I went out on a limb here. I put my life on the line, and I did what God wanted me to do, and here I end up in prison. That's the reward for obeying God. And while he was there, he started doubting, questioning. Hmm. You know, I did this. Is it worth it? Is it worth it, what I'm going through here? So he, asked, he, he sends his disciples and... and um, Basically asking Jesus, Jesus, are you the one? Are you the Messiah that we have been talking about? We, I just want to know for sure. And um, are you really the son of God? Lee Strobel, by the way, and you've, we showed his movie here. Uh, an atheist, a reporter for the Chicago Tribune years ago, he went out to disprove Christianity. You know, doing his research, he went on a search a mission to destroy um, all the proof of Christianity, you know, because he just believed that it was phony. And when he invested time and energy and did all the research, it, he came up with so many facts he couldn't disprove it. He did put his faith in Jesus Christ and became a follower of his. He writes this, don't you think God would rather have you be honest with him about your doubts than have you profess a phony faith? He knows what's going on inside us anyway. It's absurd to think we can mask our doubts from him. An authentic relationship means telling the truth about how we feel. And that's the kind of relationship God wants from us. So, John the Baptist, Habakkuk, they, they're all saying, go ahead. Go ahead, express how you feel. And, um, and so there you have it. We're asking questions. God, are you the one? Am I, am I wasting my time in this relationship with you if you're not really who you say you are? And this morning we endeavored to answer that question for you. So number two, the answer, Jesus, are you the one? If you go into the Old Testament, you'll find that there have been over 300 
references, prophecies to the coming of Jesus. Over 300. You go from Genesis to Malachi, you'll, you'll walk through that whole process where the, the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah was, was foretold. And for the sake of time, we're only, only going to hit seven prophecies this morning, which means you've got homework to do. That means you can go 293 prophecies in your spare time, just walk through it, and, uh, and come back and report next Sunday. How's that sound? All right, we're all in on that. Good, good. So here's the answer. There's, there's seven we're going to rip through here. Number one, God's son is on the way. He's on the way. And we go back to the Garden of Eden, a perfect environment. So heaven up here, God plants this Garden of Eden, perfect environment. Everybody, everybody in that garden, all the plants and all the animals, they're all happy. And um, God says, you can have everything you want in this garden except this one tree. Guess what? Satan shows up and says to Eve, God's ripping you off. God's not fair. You've got 10,392 trees you can eat from, but that one tree, it's not fair that God doesn't want you to have any of the fruit. So Adam and Eve, they started talking. Yeah, man, God's not fair. Satan always attacks the character of God. That's why you have to read your Bible to determine the true character of God. You'll find him there. And they sin and they, they realize they sinned and they hide from God. Some of you this morning are hiding from God. And, and he, he's calling your name and he's wanting to restore that relationship. And so God's having a conversation with Adam and Eve and he says this in verse 15, Genesis 3. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So there's three points right in the sentence that we can determine. Number one, there's going to be ongoing hostility between the serpent and the woman. Ladies, every time you give birth... It's a reminder. Thank you, Eve. You know, you should send her a thank you note. I haven't experienced it, but I've heard about it. There's pain, right? There's pain. Where did that come from? It came from the Garden of Eden. That's what, what's going on. There's hostility between the serpent and the woman. It's a reminder. That's where sin came from back in the Garden. Two, there's two lines of humanity constantly at odds. There's, there's the serpent's way that will fight continuously after um, those who follow the way of the Lord. You know, you, you can say there's hostility, uh, offspring, and then third, there will, there will come someone. Who's someone? Jesus. Here it is. Jesus will ultimately destroy the serpent's power. When it says, he will strike your head, that means Jesus will strike the head of Satan. And you, he's talking to the serpent, to Satan, you will strike his heel. What this is, is it's, it's moving from Genesis to the crucifixion, where Satan's going to strike the heel of Jesus, thinking that he's, he's taken care of him when he was nailed to the cross and put it in the tomb. He's done for. 
He thought he had victory. But guess what? Jesus had the victory, ultimate. He came out of that grave, beat sin, death, and the grave. And so Jesus, it says, he's going to strike the head. So would you rather get struck in the head or struck in the heel? Should we vote? We'd vote for the heel, right? Because, because this, uh, this past week, uh, uh, I'm, I've been reading through the book of Revelation, and I, I saw something that really jumped out at me. It caught my attention, and I, I want to I bring it to your attention this morning. When we're talking about this, um, that Jesus will strike the head of, the, of Satan. In Revelation 20, and it's, on, it's up here, you can follow along. Then I saw, John, the apostle, saw an angel coming down from heaven with the keys to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He sees the dragon. Who's the dragon? He answers it. That old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Okay, let's put a little spin on this. What's, this, what's going on here? A thousand years is called a millennium. There's going to be a thousand-year reign when Jesus rules and reigns on the earth. Satan is locked up for most of those thousand years. People will marry. People will have children. During that time, it's like heaven on earth. It's a perfect place. But the children that are born during the millennium will be tested in their loyalty. Satan will be released near the end of the thousand years on the planet. And you see what what goes on here. That he's going to deceive the nations. Because he's very good at that. He deceived Eve and Adam in the garden. He's deceiving some of you this morning, thinking that you can get away with what you're doing in disobeying God, that there's never going to be consequences for that. He's deceiving you. Well, we go down to verse 7. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. The Antichrist who will force people to take the mark of the beast, they call that, on your forehead, on your hand, in order to buy or sell during that time. If you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell. You take the mark of the beast, you're signing yourself over to Satan and eternity in hell. Anybody with the mark of the beast will not be allowed into heaven. So there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What caught my attention is in verse 
1 of Revelation 20, I saw an angel. Too many people think Satan and God are on equal planes here. You know, they battle each other. And Satan sometimes, ooh, ooh, wounds God. It was an angel that took Satan and locked him up. Not God. God didn't need to. God is superior. We sang about that this morning. He is great and mighty. His name is great and mighty. Every knee will bow one day and confess him as Lord. That day's coming. That great name of Jesus. We have that great name. We serve that great name. And so I, that's what jumped out at me. That, wow, it wasn't God that, th- that took care of him. It was an angel, an angel that God created. Isn't that cool? And sometimes we give Satan too much credit, you know? So, so anyway, that's what's going on here. God's son is on the way. And... Um, uh, where is that fulfilled? Matthew 1.18, Mary became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, Galatians 4.4, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman. So the Redeemer, Jesus, is on the way. It was prophesied. Number two, Jesus is related to Abraham. Matthew 1.1, we're going to get into a little genealogy. I was talking to somebody between the gatherings, and they said, yeah, uh, for a gift, they got the DNA deal, you know, where you find out where your relatives came from. How fun that is. So we were talking about that. So, so we're going to find out where Jesus came from. This is a record of, of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. So Abraham, he's a descendant of Abraham. What's that about? We go to Genesis 12. Two, God's having a conversation with Abraham. This is what he says. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. God is saying, Abraham, you're you're one dude, but there's going to be a nation that comes from you, and my son, Jesus, will come from your bloodline. Pretty cool. So, Just to prove what God said is true, friends, you've heard of the Nobel Peace Prizes, right? Well, from 2017 backwards, there's been 902 individuals that have been given the Nobel Peace Prize. Out of the 902, 203, or 22% were Jews. Although their total population comprises of 0.10% of the world's population which means it's at least 112 times or 11,250% above average when you look at the world population. You know, how God has blessed the Jews. And that's just one area in the Nobel Prize. God has put his favor on those people, man. And it's just proof, once again, that when God says something, it's true. I'll tell you something else what's going on in our culture today. Anti-Semitism is growing all through Europe right now and in America. In fact, in Baraboo, I don't know if you saw that last week, 
anti-Semitism going on in the school. We saw it in the 30s in Germany. There is a, there's a, it's not from God. If it's not from God, where's it coming from? It's demonic. A hatred for the Jew because they're God's special people. You bless them, you will be blessed. You curse them, you will be cursed. (laughs) Study history. You'll find the nations that turn their back on Israel, they are suffering big time as a consequence. So, So there we have it. Jesus is related. So where did that come from? Abraham is 100 years old. His wife is 90 when Isaac is born. How does that happen? It's because God had a plan. His son was coming from that genealogy. 100? No problem for God. Boom! There's Isaac. Gets things rolling. So you can read that in Genesis 21. So that's two. Number three, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. The scepter. The scepter is a symbol of rule. It's a sign of authority for a king. Will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants. And what's being told here is that Jesus is coming with the scepter. And you, can, you go into Revelation and you see that imagery. He's on a white horse with that scepter, that sign of authority. That day is coming. And he's the lion from the tribe of Judah. Hebrews 7, 14, what I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. In Revelation 5, 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne has won the victory. We can sing that song, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He's won the victory. Fourth, Jesus is a descendant of David. Jeremiah 23, 5. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. We go back to Matthew 1, 1. The record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David. There it is. In Luke 1, 32. Gabriel, when he came to Mary, says... He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. So what's going on? We're going step by step to show that God purposed to have his son above everybody else. Number five, Jesus is announced by John the Baptist. Isaiah 40, verse 3, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Isaiah, right here, 40, 700 years before Jesus was born, is prophesying the fact that John the Baptist will be telling about the coming Messiah. That's awesome. Malachi 3, 1. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So you go to Mark 1. Mark quotes the Old Testament, combines Isaiah 40 
and Malachi 3, which introduces John the Baptist in Mark 1, verse 4. This messenger was John the Baptist. So you have Isaiah 40, Malachi 3, Matthew 3, Matthew 11, Mark 1, Luke 1, Luke 7. These New Testament writers are endorsing the prophets and their prophecies from the Old Testament. They were fulfilled through John the Baptist. Number six, Jesus and his virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14. All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So 700 years after this prophecy, Jesus is born exactly what was prophesied. Matthew 1.22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Who was the prophet? The prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. All right? Isaiah 7, 14, quoted in Matthew 1, 23. Pretty cool. Seven, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. So, so what we're doing is we're going line by line, and we're realizing Jesus is who he said he was. We can base our life on it. It's true. Micah gave this prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born. And guess what? All the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem knew Micah 5 too. Because when the wise men came to Jerusalem asking King Herod, hey, hey, we're looking for this baby, this Messiah. Can you tell us where he is? And so King Herod brought in his wise guys, the religious community, and they said, oh yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, five miles down the road from here. Where were the religious community? Did you see them at the uh, birth of Christ? I didn't see them there. Huh? They didn't show up. Why? They weren't looking for him. They knew where he was going to be born, but hey, man, we are so spiritual, we don't need to go there. Yeah. We have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't become like those spiritual wise guys. Well, we've heard the stories so many times, you know. Even this Christmas story, we can just sign off. I've heard that before. We need to say, Lord, speak to me. Yeah. So let's imagine two months ago I was digging a hole in my backyard. I was going to plant a tree, which I like to do. But I hit something hard a rock, which we have a lot of in Mount Horeb. And next to the rock, there was a scroll. And the scroll was encased in plastic to preserve it. And I, and I opened the scroll up, and, and it's in a language I can't understand, so I, I find a translator, and they come back and they say, yeah, it's dated 8, A.D. 1318, 700 years ago. And so I said, well, what does it say? And they said, well, 
It says, Lo, a man and his wife shall conceive and shall bring forth a son. His name will be called Bob. Oh, by the way, Robert Stephen Lee, just to give the full name. He will be born in a hospital in Chicago in the year 1954. He will marry Debbie, and they will have four sons and two daughters. Now, what if I told you I found a scroll like that? It was written 700 years ago and talked about my life being born, where I was going to be born, who I was going to marry, and how many kids I was going to have. What would you think? Dude, you've had too much pepperoni on your pizza. You've messed up. That's exactly what happened here with the prophecy of Jesus Christ. It happened. It happened. 700 years. Boom. So with that, we come, we come to a response. We have, number three, we have to respond to these seven prophecies, and you have to respond to the rest, 293, that you're going to work on this week. One, Jesus was born of a woman. You say, yeah, I'm born of a woman. Yeah, okay, all right, let's move on. How about a descendant of Abraham? How many descendants of Abraham do we have? Okay, shrinks it down a little bit. How about, uh, how from, from the tribe of Judah? Okay, the number's dropping. Uh, how about a descendant of David? Uh, some more fall off. How about announced by John the Baptist? Well, we have some more fall off. And how about born of a virgin? Oh, I, I'm done, that's not me. Uh, how about born in Bethlehem? Anybody born in Bethlehem here today? So you see, the shrinking, this all points to, man, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, for sure. Boom. And it's all proof. Now, you could say, you know what? I still don't believe you. I think you're fixing the numbers. I think you're coming up with all kinds of nonsense. Well, somebody wanted to address your doubts, and so... Um, Peter Stoner, he's a mathematician. He wanted to show you and me the odds of these prophecies coming to fulfillment. In fact, he's, he took eight out of the 300 and showed us the odds of those things coming together. And so after doing the calculations, he concluded the chances were 1 in 10 to the 17th power, which... Look at all the zeros behind the one. That's a bunch, right? So he thought, you know what? Uh, some people aren't good with numbers, but maybe visually they, they could help. So he said, take the state of Texas. And some of you have been in Texas and you've driven through it. You know it's a big state. In fact, it's 268,597 square miles. That's a big state, right? So he says, take silver dollars. Get a cargo plane, planes, plural, fly over Texas and drop silver dollars to cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Not just one layer, but two feet deep. So you know that's a lot of silver dollars, right? You take another silver dollar, you paint it red. You drop it from a cargo plane into that mix. Then you take somebody and blindfold them, and on their first pick... Out of all of those silver dollars, they pick the red silver dollar. That's the odds lining up for Jesus to be born through all of these prophecies. And you want to know something? It happened. It happened. Christ fulfilled all 300 of those prophecies.
So, what do we do with it? What does Jesus say to the question? Oh, man, take all of the silver dollars and cover Judea and get a red silver dollar. And No, he didn't do that. This is what he says in Matthew 11, 4 and 5. He told them, go back to John, tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I have power to change lives. Not only did I go through all of those prophecies, you know, prophetic, that's cool. But the power of God is resonant in me and lives are being changed. That's proof that I am who I say I am. Now, last week, just to bring it up to speed, talking about changed lives, there were two stories. One, Brian Welch, who used to be in the band Corn. Okay, he's doing a documentary. This is what happened in him. Guitarist Brian Welch was the prime, at the prime of his career. Behind closed doors, he was losing himself to drugs and alcohol. He walked away from Corn in a $23 million record deal in 2005 after he found God. The bold move helped him become free of his addictions. Welch revealed that despite having it all, fame, fortune, I was still suffering unhappiness. And when I converted to to Christianity, um, hey, my world did not improve right away. I lost a lot of stuff. I I went through trials. Um, My business deals fell through. I lost my house. He said, I was forewarned, you go through trials, sometimes heavy ones, sometimes it looks like God's abandoned you, but for not any reason, it's to make your faith grow and to see that no matter what happens, you come out okay. It's all for your good. It's all for love, and it's all for making you a strong person. He says, I'm a Christian, and I have a personal relationship with Christ. To me, God is love, and God loves everybody and takes you as you are. Pretty cool, huh? Brian, Brian Welch, man, he experienced that, that resurrection power of Jesus Christ to take him out of that pit that he was in and transform his life. Next, we've got Rene Martinez, notorious gang leader, now preaches Jesus. He says, I'm a radical soldier for God. He says, I spent the majority of my life in and out of jail, breaking into homes, stealing guns, dealing drugs, and getting into fights. But today better known as Level, that's his nickname, I found a new calling preaching, praying, and baptizing others in the name of Jesus as he seeks to save them from the life he once knew too well. He said, man, I lived a crazy life. Listen to this. From early on, I was plagued by demons. My mother was part of a religion that sacrificed an animal over me. It's just demonic. I started seeing demons when I was a kid. They haunted me my whole life. My mother was hanging by a thread and somebody presented the gospel to her and she became a follower of Christ. She started praying for me. I'm in a garage doing 
doing rock music and, and gangster music. And all of a sudden, I hear the voice of God saying to me, I have saved you for such a time as this. And he said, I put my faith in Jesus Christ and my life has radically been changed. Friends, two cases right here in the news last week, out of the blue, saying Jesus is putting them up saying, I have the power to change your life. That is proof that I am who I say I am. Just like you sitting here this morning. This is where you were. This is where you are today by the grace of God. And God's not finished with you yet. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Boom! So, this morning, as we look at the greatness of our God, I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what kind of, you know, are you being haunted by demons? I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I can tell you this for sure. Jesus has the power to save your soul. And that great name, Jesus, you can call on him this morning. Jesus, you are who you say you are. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. Forgive me. I invite you to come in and be my spiritual leader, just like Mary. Be the center of my life, Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for taking my place on the cross. Lord, we thank you today for this great message of hope. Thank you that even today there's people that you are running after because of your great love. Even people that think they've messed up so big, so bad, thinking that God would never forgive them. Lord, you're calling out their name even now, saying, I am here to restore you into relationship with me. And Lord, we thank you that over 2,000 years ago, you came as a baby. And today we're looking forward to your next coming. That day's coming very soon. So help us, Lord, just to keep that in mind, to allow you to be the center of our lives, Lord. We need you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.